Hello, ladies. It's good to see everyone. This is the first time I've taught in a long while. I feel like I should be putting a mask on my face. Um, so I'm not used to speaking without one. It feels weird. But uh, let's go before the Lord. Father God, we come before you, Father God, and give you all the praise, honor, and glory that you deserve. For there is none like you, Father God. Who can compare, Father God? You set the stars in the sky, Father. You are so mighty and powerful, Father God. And you are all wise, Father. And we have the privilege, Father, to sit at your feet tonight, Father God, and hear just how wise you are and your wisdom, Father God, running through the pages of your word, like the veins in our body, Father God. And you desire for us to know exactly who you are and that wisdom father god and what you desire for us to do with that gift father god and i pray lord tonight father as i open my mouth father god that your words would flow through father god and that you would be huge father god and i would be nothing father i just love you father god and i ask that you bless us tonight father god abundantly beyond father in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight, um, we're here for uh, to continue our series, Gifts for Giving. And tonight's gift is wisdom. God's word is full of wisdom. We're going to start our study tonight, though, looking at Solomon. And we're going to look into his source of wisdom, where it came from, what happened with that, um, how he used his wisdom. And then he has the book of wisdom, Proverbs, we'll look at. And then gifting wisdom in our own lives. It sounds long, but it's not going to be. <laughs> the source is God's word, right? The Bible. God is wisdom. And he gives us it through his inspired word, the Bible. And his wisdom enables us to live out our salvation. Now, in Timothy... Um, in Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, and most of um, the scripture I'll be reading tonight is going to be out of the NLT. Usually, it's the New King James Version, but I felt the simplicity helped me when I was studying, and so I'm going to be using that version. But Paul speaking to Timothy says, "All Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true." And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people, us, to do every good work. So there are human authors of the Bible and prophets, but they write not from their own understanding. But they were moved by the Holy Spirit to pen the words that were spoken by God. So it's not just a collection of stories and ideas, but the Bible is living, we know, and it's life-changing. And we need to listen to it because it will penetrate the core of both our moral and spiritual lives. It will save our life. It shapes our lives. The Bible, we know, is coherent, and it is consistent. It is trustworthy. It is reliable, authoritative, and powerful because... It comes from God himself. 
Now, the book of Proverbs is a collection of wise truths, and they're written mostly by Solomon. So we're going to look at his source of wisdom. Where did he get that wisdom to write? So God, we see coming to Solomon in a dream one night when he was sleeping. And if you would like to turn to your Bibles, um, it's 1 Kings chapter 3. And again, this will be the NLT, but you can follow along. We're going to begin in verse 5. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. And God does want to give us the desire of our hearts. The psalmist says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Going on to verse 6, Solomon replied, You showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? So Solomon, we see, is humble. He says, I'm young. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. And can't we relate to this? Sometimes in situations where we do not know what we're doing. Who of us really knows what we're doing half the time, right? We just kind of navigate as we go. Um, in the workplace, at home, in marriage, motherhood. When we had our first child, did you really know what you were doing? Um, the Lord says in the word, we plan our ways, but we have to allow the Lord to direct our steps to be successful. We need the Lord and we need his wisdom and his direction in our lives at all times. So the word goes on to say the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and you have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as no one else had ever or will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and honor. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And actually, in the New King James Version, if you're following along, it says, Nor shall any like you arise after you. And then it continues, If you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. So here Solomon asked God for a discerning heart to judge his people to be able to discern between good and evil. And Solomon's request, we read, pleased God. And God gave him a great wisdom. There was never anyone wiser before him, and there would never be any wiser after him, and not even to today. But there are plenty of people that think they are wiser, just because they have collected a lot of knowledge, but they don't use it to be wise, and they think they're wiser, but God said there would never be, which means there will never be anyone wiser. God not only blessed Solomon with wisdom to judge his people, but he gave him more, much more. 
He also blessed him with riches and honor and a long life if he continues to walk in obedience to the Lord. So we see that obedience to the Lord reaps um, blessings. So often we're asking the Lord, pass this cup from me, Lord, right? I don't want to partake of it. I, I can't do it. We don't want to deal with this or that or whatever is in our life. Please, Lord, just pass this cup from us. Instead of being humble as Solomon did and asking God to equip us to do that work that he set before us. But Paul in Ephesians reminds us that God is at work in us. Through his mighty power, he can accomplish exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And how much will we allow ourselves to be used by God, as Solomon requested um, that wisdom to govern his people and do the work that God set before him? How much will we allow it ourselves to be used by God? What is our limit, right? Our limit, our only limit is ourselves. We just need to step aside and let him be used, let ourselves be used for his glory. Now Solomon asked to be equipped to rightly judge God's people, to do the work God has set before him. And ladies, he wants to bless us. Um, some of us mothers who have children think about how we want to bless our children. I kind of use this example sometimes, but um, in a different twist tonight, when they're good listeners and they're behaving and they're doing their homework and their chores and they're cleaning their room, if we have young ones, we want to reward them for that, right? Because, hey, it makes our lives a lot easier. So we want to kind of reward them. Kind of thank you for that and, and give them a little surprise or something. But doing that, it doesn't make us love them any more than we already do. We love them to the core, right? But we want to bless them because we want to make them happy. We want to... Um, yeah, just see that smile, that little twinkle in their eye. But if we think about it, that's us because we are God's children. We are his daughters. And when we walk uprightly and we're obedient to his word, he blesses us because he loves to see smiles on our hearts and faces too. He delights in seeing that just like we delight in seeing those on our children. So we can relate to that. So we want... Um, we want to please God with an obedient life, walking uprightly, holy, and righteous. Solomon, now we're going to move on to verse 16 in that same chapter. We're going to see that he's giving the gift of wisdom. Solomon uh, needs, he's gonna, he needs to judge the people wisely, right? He's saying, give me that heart of wisdom to know how to judge. And so we're going to see how he settles a dispute between two new mothers. And the scripture reads, Sometime later, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my lord, one of them began. This woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. And three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone, and there were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. And she laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. 
but when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted, it certainly was your son and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine and the dead one is yours. And so they argued back and forth before the king. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours. And each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two. Give half to one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who, the real mo- who was the real mother of the living child and loved him very much cried out, Oh no, Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his mother. And when all Israel heard the king's decision, and they are watching, people watch what decisions are made. They're listening, and they want to see what we do or say. Well, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Solomon was a great witness to the wisdom of God, and we see the source of Solomon's wisdom. We see the use of Solomon's wisdom. And now we're going to look at the book of Proverbs, which was mostly written by Solomon. In Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through uh, 9, These are the Proverbs of Solomon. I'm sorry, I'm reading a lot from the Word, but the Word is wisdom. So tonight's study is appropriate to just read and glean off what God is showing us. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young, Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, by exploring the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So by nature, we are a simple-minded people. Both wisdom and foolishness compete to fill our hearts and minds all day long. And we need to discipline ourselves to resist that natural sinful tendency to stray towards wrong behavior. We see this battle in Proverbs verse 9. It goes on, it's describing two competing invitations. The first to feast on wisdom and the second to feast on folly. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has carved its seven columns. And seven, biblically speaking, is the number of completeness and perfection. So this grand house is like a perfect place to dwell. So it's a perfect place to dwell in wisdom. She has prepared a great banquet mixed the wines and set the table. She has sent her servants to invite everyone to come. 
Everyone can come to the word of God for wisdom. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Leave the world behind and come, come to the Lord. Learn to use good judgment. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you until God changes their hearts, right? And he can do that. But correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Now fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days. We saw that. God told Solomon, hey, you asked for a good thing. And if you continue to be obedient, I will lengthen the days of your life. So it says, wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. That is true, right? Wise decisions and we benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. The woman named Folly, now she's brash, she's fiery and feisty. She is ignorant and doesn't know it. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. So that tells us she mimics wisdom. So don't get it twisted, right? She's trying to mimic it so that people gravitate towards her. But um, she's folly. So she calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. So she's calling out to us women, and we may be minding our own business, but we can get caught up in folly. So beware. She calls out to the men, women going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is refreshing. And food eaten in secret, ooh, it tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depth of the grave. So be wise, right? Don't get lured away. Foolishness leads to sin and sin to death. Wisdom is practical knowledge that evokes ethical choices. We have to make choices in life. It's practical knowledge that evokes ethical choices. So we gain a lot of knowledge and we get it and then we wisely use it to make choices. We cannot be distracted thinking that other things, other stuff, that other activities or other events are more important because what can be more important than us searching for our God's wisdom? A commitment to wisdom is a commitment to the Lord. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit, for without me we can do nothing. We know we have to be grafted to that vine. I believe there was a study who um, spoke about this for nourishment. And if we are severed from it, we will surely die. Those nutrients need to flow from the vine to the branches. Think of our bodies. Our blood flows through us and it supplies oxygen to all of our organs. 
and then that oxygen is necessary for our organs to function. And when that flow of blood is stopped and the oxygen is stopped and our organs are cut off from their life source, they die. So we need to be grafted to the vine. Now, every day we're confronted with many decisions in our lives. And the book of Proverbs is that compass because it kind of directs us in which way we should go. It helps us navigate and it helps us live our lives wisely. It provides wisdom as we're speaking. It provides instructions for living and it gives guidance for building strong character in us. It teaches how to successfully handle life's situations, successfully spiritually successfully by eyes of the of god but not the world because they call they have success in their own minds that folly right they make she makes us um believe she's wise but she's not now we are too it causes us to remain calm in crisis it um causes us to be patient when pressed to be gentle when challenged but firm when confronted with temptation. Proverbs shows us that the source of all wisdom is a right relationship with God. So then we need to nurture our relationship with God. How? Be in his word. Not only Proverbs, of course, Proverbs is a great, um, you know, daily, you could daily read a chapter of Proverbs and start over every month. But from cover to cover, from Old Testament to New Testament, the entire Bible tells us what we need to know, tells us who God is, tells us who we are, tells us what his desire for us is. He always, always has time for us, and he does desire to hear from us daily. He's blessed us. It's cool because a lot of our prayer before the study was about the church, and he he had me put it in here that he blesses us with each other. We are the church. Ladies, if you look around, we have each other, a community of like-minded believers. We have the word. We have an open prayer line. So there's no excuse for an underdeveloped relationship with God. Growing closer to God means we grow. We grow in many ways. We grow like our gifts are. We grow kinder. We grow more patient. We become more loving, more selfless. We grow wiser. And it just snowballs into all of these other um, fruits of the Spirit. And as we grow wiser, we are able to impart God's wisdom to others. So now we're going to be gifting wisdom to others because we've received it, both by word and deed. Now, people are people watchers, right? For some, it's entertaining. It's a hobby. They people watch. But for some, people watching is a watch and wait plot. They watch to catch a slip or a stumble or even a fall. They lie in wait in the shadows. It's like folly. She's waiting there, waiting to catch the Christian in a weak moment. The rivals, wisdom and folly, they continue their battle to the end. So we're always going to be, they're going to be battling for a mind. So we have to stay grafted with God 
to that vine to overcome our weakness and temptation so we can claim his victory, right? It's al there's already, he's, he's won. We have to claim the victory in his name. Now, haters will hate, but believers, we can live on. We can march forward in Christ. We can push, like the scripture says, every hindrance aside, every sin that ensnares us, we are going to run with endurance, ladies, the race that God has set before us. Now, in marathons, you know how the runners, you know, you did a little marathon, you, and the runners um, run, and they grab the cup of um, water, they throw it, and they're uh, refueling their bodies. And think of it as we're running this race with endurance, and we're going, wisdom, wisdom, and we just keep getting wisdom all the way, hopefully, to the day we meet our maker so we can help too others run that race to victory with wisdom wisdom give them wisdom in that cup wisdom in the cup and so we want to give that that gift to everyone every chance that god gives us because he's the one that opens the door he opened this door tonight so we're going to give wisdom out now we know the source we've learned that right and we give others the gift of wisdom by giving them our opinions and our advice? No. By giving them God. By this I mean that God has to be the source of counsel and encouragement. He has to be the source of mentoring. He's the source of living the life that he breathed into us. He is the source. So we have to lead in all that we do um, others to God. Because if we lead them to ourselves, if we lead them to man, the word says man will fail you, right? But God never will fail you. He is faithful and true. So an example of that would be, say um, we have a friend or we, there's someone in the church and we're counseling them. And every time we counsel them, we're saying, hey, you know what, whenever you're struggling, give me a call, text me. Well, we need to be saying every time you're struggling, pray, read, seek God. Because then what if we, we're actually setting ourselves up for accountability. Because what if that day comes where they're truly struggling and then we can't, they can't get in contact to us. What, what happens then? We've not shared the right tools for them. They all, we always have to turn people to God. It's none of us. It's all of him. We're only that empty vessel he uses to reach the world. He wants to reach the world that none, um, that none would perish. So giving the gift of wisdom in our practical living, we're going to look at some of the relationships in our lives. One of them is the workplace and many of us have very different work situations a lot of us are working from home because of covid right now but some work from home even before that and will continue to even after some are in secular jobs and some are in christian workplaces some work with the public some do not some are in managerial roles others not our workplaces and positions are varied but one thing is constant, that we bear witness in whatever role we're in. 
to God. Sometimes it's difficult, but his word prepares us. Remember, we've got to remain calm in crisis, even in the workplace. We can uh, be patient when pressed, and some of us are very pressed at the workplace, and gentle when challenged, and some jobs are very challenging, but firm when confronted with temptation. Because there is temptation in the workplace, too, in many different forms. Um, We work with opposite sex. We work with um, carnal people. Um, There's just a ton of things, but we need to stand firm when confronted with temptation. And in our families, for those of us who are married, ladies, we are to submit to our husbands. They are the leaders of our homes under the authority of the Lord. But communication is necessary for a healthy relationship. And especially when we're making decisions in our homes. It could be regarding kids or our jobs, home improvements, whatever it may be. We have an opportunity, sorry, for discussions to pray and share what God has shown us regarding the issue. Even um, just knowledge that we have that may not be spiritual knowledge, but even knowledge for instance, how to, uh, some DIY project or something at home. It's, it's a time to share. In the end, your husband will make the decision and you will say okay. Um, but to share the knowledge is good. It's wise to do that. Now in verse um, 8 and 9, back to Proverbs, Solomon starts in again saying, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Now, we've all heard that saying, actions speak louder than words. And as um, mothers, we probably witness this daily. It seems our kids do not hear half of what we say. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation of knowledge again. So do we honor and respect God? Do we live in awe of who he is and his power? Do we obey his word? Is our faith and trust in him and him alone? Our homes are where our children learn their values and their morals, where they form their habits. They learn what our priorities are because they see where we place God in our lives. He, is he priority in your family? Do you live under his authority? Do they see you seeking his wisdom for the decisions you're making at home? Do you pray with them when they need to make a decision? Do you lead them to his word so that they know where to go when they're not around you? To learn the things that he's taught us We must in all things point others to God again, to his word, through both our actions and words, and so much more in our family. There's no one that's going to, besides God, that cares more for them and what their foundation is set upon than us. Now, what about family that's outside of our immediate family? For the Christian woman here tonight, not all of our family members are believers I'm sure of that. But all of our family members should have a believer praying for them because that believer's you and me. We have the opportunity to intercede for them, to pray for their souls to be saved. 
Again, Jesus came that none should perish, but that all would receive him. So when we are together with family, it can be challenging, right? Lots of different personalities, but we can use wisdom when interacting with them. And be ready to roll when God yells action, because he's going to open that door, and then we're going to share him with them. We don't have to be worried or anxious about what to say, because he just says, be the willing vessel. Just be the vessel I can use, and he's going to speak through us directly to their hearts. As he's doing tonight, just speaking through me directly to your heart. And I guarantee you what he is showing you in your heart is not what your neighbor is getting because it's living it's the living word and it always he adapts to wherever place we are in life and he knows exactly what we need so you're getting something different from you from you from you from me again right now so we'll open our mouths and god will speak to their hearts And we just, again, always point them to any trial they're going through back to God and that he has a great love for them, for us, for everyone. And then we have our friendships, those people who we share our hopes and dreams with. We laugh and cry with them. We pray with them. We break bread with them. I recently had a conversation with someone who's been raised in the church who knows God, but not completely surrendered life, but the topic was marriage. And they were saying to me that, specifically mine, but I'm sure in general, that opinions are slighted by what we want. Because I really want to believe that God can save a marriage. Now, I feel like the first part is true. That's exactly why, spiritually speaking, our opinions do not matter because they could be slighted by our flesh, right? There is a scripture in the book of Joel that says, God will restore what the locusts have eaten. And it's always been an encouraging promise for me. And um, I share it a lot. It reminds me that relationships, whether they're friendships or our relationships with our children, our marriages, the ones that have been beaten up on and beaten down, ones that we've allowed the swarming locusts to attack and the crawling and consuming locusts to crush, the relationships that the chewing locusts um, have cut and divided, those relationships can be restored. When we repent, God will intervene in our life, and he will intervene in those troubled relationships and restore all the wrong that we may have done in them. I always share that God can, that he's so much greater than what we kind of limit him to, that he can wake up one morning, make us wake up, and like totally forget whatever junk happened, you know, whatever bad memory we had, whatever um, we were filing away in the file that we want to remember this, right? You did this to me. He can wipe it out like that. He is so great. We could walk out tonight and not remember any hurt that anyone's ever done. He is great, a great God. So that that scripture, I just love it. But um, he can do that, take away the junk that's happened to us. And I like that scripture because it brings hope. Because sometimes in our own thoughts and minds, we think, no way, right? No way. Hurt The hurt is too deep. 
but not with God. Nothing. So it's for any struggling relationship. It can bring hope for a boyfriend, girlfriend, a husband, wife, a parent, child, or a friendship that's been damaged. So this conversation I had um, continued. So it was like, well, what if God, uh, what if it wasn't God's will to marry? Maybe he does want the marriage over and move on. So I, I, I really like listen closely to what people are saying. Because you have to, right? Words matter. You've got to say what you mean and mean what you say. So basically what I was hearing is, hey, I did get married, I'm not happy, and if I'm so unhappy, probably wasn't God's will in the first place, so I'm sure he would want me to just move on. Well, it's important to acknowledge their feelings because, listen, we can't deny how someone is feeling. Whether it's right or wrong, you can't deny what they're feeling. But we have to wisely give them God's truth. I have to make it clear to them that this is not my opinion. This is what God says. And based on wisdom that God's given me through his scriptures, I say, look, you're right. Maybe it wasn't his will for you to get married. But now you are married. And my faith says your marriage is a covenant with God. God designed marriage. He knows what's needed to make it work. He's got the playbook. I also know that it's very hard, I tell this person, to wait on the Lord when we're feeling unhappy. It is. But the bottom line, my encouragement to them, will always be based, and to you, on my faith in God and his word. But also, bottom line to this person, you'll make your own decisions. But it's up to you whether they're based in spirit or flesh. And this is the wisdom of God. We can stand bold on it. We may not like it. I mean, others may not like to hear it. The mockers, remember, they won't receive wisdom. But it's the word of God. It's true. It cuts like a two-edged sword. It goes deep to the bone. But it's truth. So we have to continue to pray for those because some aren't choosing the higher ground. And there risk, there's a risk that they be swept away by foolish choices. And we, as family members, as friends, we can't be enticed by them because we do live among them, right? Proverbs 1, 10, 11 says, My child, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, keep your foot from their path. Keep your foot from their path. You can't just say what they want to hear. That's kind of putting a foot on their path. Because, again, the truth is going to cut deep to the bone. Sometimes we don't want to offend others. It's like a two-edged sword, and God wants his truth out there. Wisdom says give him the truth. It saves lives. Do not be peer pressured either into making wrong choices. And what I see in my home, because I have a young um, adult, well, two young adult children, but one in particular is a huge pressure zone is social media. It's like this giant bubble of tweets and posts and snaps and likes and views. And I don't even know what they mean, but I, I'm told because she tells me my story. Somebody looked at my story. Well, it's a story. I don't know. But why should people's opinions matter more to us than God's opinion? I'm trying to teach her this. It's hard. It's like... Um, it's like it's got a strangle on her, 
you know she's strong enough to stop it while she's in school because she knows it takes up so much time to be doing this but then when that class is over it's like you got to catch up or something but why should people's opinions matter to us more than God's opinion who cares if they go who cares right stand firm in righteousness lest we be separated from God so we need to guard our friendships as well these God-fearing God-pleasing friendships I have a friend and um, if a friend I'm sorry if a friend continually entices you to wrongdoing like right you get caught up in some junk I don't know it could be gossip it could be um, shopping too much whatever I would say that that disposable that friendship is disposable and those relationships can be ended and probably counted as collateral damage in that race that's set before us right push it aside push it aside cut it off like the bible says shake off the dust from your feet when you leave adios right so Paul in Philippians is encouraging the believers, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. He goes on to say in verse 214, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. We need to live above reproach. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Again, the word tells us how to do this, right? It's all going back to God's word. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. This is how we're going to be successful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your heart to the lord we've heard from god now how to receive his gift of wisdom that we need to draw close to him that we need to know him well we will know what he desires for us our decisions and our choices will be spirit-led will be that grafted branch to that vine in tune and in step with our Lord and his perfect will. And we'll be able to move knowing that I know that I know without a shadow of a doubt, this is where God wants me. I, I'm sure we've all like been there before on this, some decision in our life that we've prayed and maybe even fasted about. And then we know that we know without a shadow of a doubt, this is where God wants me. And then... The next big trial, we can't remember that feeling. Like we go through that struggle again. But then we know that we know without a shadow of a doubt, this is where God wants me. Now here's about my friend that God's blessed me with. A God-fearing friendship shared by two little sinners. But you know what? I love her because she loves the Lord, her God, with all her heart, soul, and mind. He is her first love. And he's knitted our hearts together. And he's given us this crazy, like-minded, answer the, our own sentences type of relationship that just blows my mind. We call ourselves battle buddies. And we have shared tears and fears and dreams and laughter. And we're, like, really so much alike. 
we do literally finish each other's sentences, and it's happened a lot more than once. But here's the point I want to make about this great, loving friendship. That if God gives us these amazing relationships here on earth, then how much greater does he desire our relationship with him? He's our father in heaven. If he blesses us and I get so excited about a little relationship here on earth, my God loves me. What a great privilege to have a relationship with him. He says, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. To share him, um, to share laughter and tears with him. We share our hopes and desires with him. We trust him with our fears, right? To develop a relationship so tightly knitted with God that we will not move without him leading us. When we find ourselves at that fork in the road, or a dead end, or we're even stalled out, man. We need to make that U-turn. We need to just pause, pray. Pray to God before we proceed. Just pause and pray and proceed. And, and it's not, sometimes it's just a, a quick prayer. Lord, oh my gosh, show me, show me now, quick. It could be that, or we could be praying for days and months. We don't know, but... Even when we make decisions with the best intentions, they might not be what God intended. Maybe they're our best intentions, but they may not be what God intended. So pause, pray, proceed. Instead of proceed with caution, we need to proceed with wisdom, right? God's wisdom. And we don't want to hold this wisdom that we have hostage in our own lives. We want to share it. This is what it's about. We want to gift it to others. May God enrich us with his wisdom daily so that we can gift others daily. We're going to pray. Father, Lord, we come before you again, thanking you because you are so good, Father God. Why do we fret and tremble, Lord? When we know that you're just using us to share what you have for us, Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us your word of wisdom, Father God, that you have given us an open prayer line, and that you've blessed us with this beautiful church of believers, Father God, a community of like-minded, Father God, that we share our hopes and dreams with and our fears and tears with, Father God. And that we can talk about our relationship with you, Father. We love you, Father God. And we pray, Lord, that we would grow deeper in our relationship. That um, all the knowledge of this world just uh, be set be behind us, Father God. That we would grow deeper with you and grow wiser in you, Father God. And be a light unto this world, Father, all the days of our lives, Father. We thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.